Hey guys, welcome to episode 168 of the JV Club Boys of a Summer series with my guest, uh, Chris Sabat. To be honest with you, I probably should have just put Chris Sabat in the episode title instead of the very uh, formal Christopher Sabat, but I don't know what to tell you. He goes by both. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I This was one where I had to record it remotely. Uh, I was here in L.A. and Chris is uh, where he lives in Dallas. Um, but uh, we had a great time and he's one of my favorite people. So I hope you guys will check it out. I guess you already are checking it if you're listening to this. But really, how horrible would it be if you're like, meh, and then you just turn it off after the intro? Uh, the intro is not the best part of the podcast, guys. Those of you who listen know that is certainly the case. I do want to get a few shout-outs in there. I um, uh, want a shout-out for email Sky and Carolina, Christine and Steven, Tamara and Jessica and Emily. And on Facebook, Kit, Aurora, Jen, Louisa. Kendra, Adela, Joe, and Alberto. Guys, I owe you some replies in a big way. I have so much going on right now. Some of it's really not that fun. It's all like finance-y kind of gross, uh, grown-up stuff that I'm really bad at even thinking about for more than five minutes. So um, bear with me while I get all that squared away and uh, enjoy the episode. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Now entering Nerdist.com. I'm going to straight up beep in a shrill, awful voice. Do it. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Here we go. Beep. Yep. Now just kind of give it a good clap in front of your microphone. Oh, for God's sake. And a louder one. This feels like I'm just being fucked with now. Oh, well, in a way. One more. I hate you. All right. That's, that's pretty close. All right. Um... Okay. Uh, we're recording on my end, uh, recording on your end, and you are listening to me on headphones, and I'm listening to you on headphones, and it feels like we're up really late at night, and we're both on our phones, and we have the, the phone like pulled all the way from the kitchen down That's the right. hallway That's right. into our into, bedrooms. Yep, into, a clo- into maybe a closet, a coat closet, or a bedroom yeah. closet. So what are you doing? You hang up first. You hang up first. No, you. You hang up first. No, you. My God. I that okay first of all thank you for that because that immediately makes me want to ask did you have a lot of those in high school because I do talk to girls and boys who just didn't have those sorts of relationships until after high school of like of that of the whole that whole scenario of sort of oh god I can't I don't want to hang up first oh oh it was I did that i i admit i did it a lot i i'm really scared to actually talk to you about kind of how i was <laughs> as a as a teenager because i was a really weird kid i was really weird and you're going to find that out pretty soon i think so i'm very excited about that yeah i apologize in advance uh no apology needed i uh, the weirder the better what do i want some normal person no that's not what this is about i'm not well i guess i'm perfectly happy if somebody ends up being stereotypical so that those people who listen to the podcast who feel they had very traditional upbringings can embrace that as well but uh i can't imagine i can't imagine what you being a weird teenager is going to mean in terms of something i haven't 
already heard some version of. <laughs> it's true. I. It's Maybe just you're funny just to look by back. Less weird people in Dallas, Texas, than I am in Los Angeles, California. It's funny. Just this whole concept of your podcast and the knowing that I was going to be talking to you about this has made me think about this for a while. I don't know if any of your other guests have felt like this before. I think some, yeah. They, it's the weirdest is when someone already listens to the podcast habitually and they feel like there's a sli- something slightly meta about suddenly being on it. Oh, I made, uh, you know, just for that purpose, I made sure never to listen to your podcast. You know? I don't know if that was the reason that you... Well, huh. you know, it's just, I just wanted to, you know, not steal anything from anyone sure. and, and also not be inconvenienced in any sort of way. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> I think we're getting a little closer to the truth now. Uh, or to take up any time, any part of your day or night or... But see, this now it's come back around. I've gotten you. I got you back because now you've been spending time thinking about being a teenager. I have. And probably just as much time as you would have if you'd been forced to listen to my podcast. Yeah. And I have to, I really have to be honest. I've listened to scattered pieces of it. Like I, I'm really bad about listening to podcasts because I have terrible ADD. And what ends up happening is I start listening to it and just like a, a book that I'll try and yeah. read, like I just forget where we're at. And I feel like I'm not part of that conversation anymore. And then that I have, must be I why you like now. the lighthouse podcast. Cause it's these short little pieces where you can sort of listen and you don't have to worry about too many distractions in that seven minutes or whatever it is. And you also don't have to worry about it making any sense either. So. That's right. <laughs> that really was made for someone just like you. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad that you're doing it, buddy. And I'm, I'm sorry I'm so that we're happy. not doing so it in, uh, in person together. I know that our intention was to do that when you came into town. But in fact, we've had a, a number of opportunities where we thought we were going to be able to exploit the fact that we we're going to be in the same place at the same time. And for one reason or another, it just didn't come together. So this is really only my second time doing uh, a phoner. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great feeling, isn't it? You just I feel you feel like I'm totally inside your head now though. Is that weird? I guess I do. It is a different sort of intimacy. Now it is now what's kind of meta about it is that I almost feel like I'm listening to my own <laughs> podcast as it's happening instead of after the fact, which is sort of creepy because there's something twilight zony about that. Has this podcast already been recorded? Am I in the future or the past? Oh, is this already online? Actually, is we this... should have just done the first live JV Club podcast. That's what we should have done. Oh, just brought. I mean, yeah, you're right. I guess I haven't ever just I straight up streamed something. I, you know what? I streamed video for my 100th episode. Um, so that is the closest I can say. I think I don't think I've done anything else that was that was uh, straight up live. Yeah, what a what a just amazing opportunity for something to go horribly wrong. But really, of all the things I thought about when I was a kid, the most powerful memory I have is spending, I mean, seriously, hours and hours and hours on the phone in junior high and in high school, like sitting on the other end of that land line. Like there was no there was no call waiting. Fortunately, my parents had no friends and and because nobody could get calls. Did you have siblings? I had two younger brothers, but they were younger. They weren't. So they weren't. They didn't even have you know, hormones then. So they yeah. didn't care. Who were all these girls or was it just a couple that you had some kind of crazy long-term uh, young person marriage to? Oh no. I, th- your boy, you were boy crazy, gonna, you were girl crazy. <laughs> this is going to sound like something out of some bad movie, but I remember, I, I don't exactly know what age I was, but it was just at an age where it was something that I listened to. But my grandfather who didn't like watching the Cosby show, um, 
And he also had like he was a double amputee, so he's a guy, and also had like dentures that he could flip out of his mouth, like and scare the <laughs> shit out of you. Um, when so when he told you something, it was even that much more important because the dude doesn't have any legs. But I remember right? him telling me he's like, Chris, here's the deal: don't ever settle for one person. You have mm. to play the field. You have to date as many people as you possibly can. Sure. And that's the only thing that's going to give you a leg up with a, I misspoke. I listen, I just think about my leg a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a, how horribly you disrespectful. Made, no. Right out of the gate, less than 10 minutes into the podcast and I'm insulting your poor war veteran grandfather. Such an inspiration to me in so many ways. Um oh. I remember like every time I'd see him on that just twice a year, it was it meant so much to me. So uh-huh. But and yeah. he didn't like watching the Cosby show. I'm going to go ahead and extrapolate from that that he was, uh, are you suggesting he was racist? Or was he a mystic and could he see into the future <laughs> of Bill Cosby's career and life and know that he was like going to be. Bill Cosby the right touched one? his legs and that's what <laughs> happened to him. Um, <laughs> no, he, he just, yeah, unfortunately, I'm one of them. If you're interviewing all people around my age, then you totally understand what it means to have. Grandparents who were totally innocent, nice people that just still didn't think that African Americans like should have anything, you know, or at yeah. least they shouldn't I mean, I be on TV. They shouldn't be on the radio. They should yeah. just keep their mouth shut, kind of. Thing. I think probably, unfortunately, you know, I could interview a ten-year-old, and they there are still grandparents who feel that way. So, and probably still parents who feel that yeah. way. Yeah, and it's um, it's sad because my mother's the same sort of way. She doesn't she, but she does it in a way more polite way. She like. You can tell that it's in the back of her mind because it was just pounded into her. But uh, but she, you know, she's the one that kind of goes, you know, and somebody when your brother was lost at Walt Disney World. He was returned to us by this really tall black man. I'm like, you didn't even need to explain that. He was returned to you by a human being. And that's a pretty right. cool thing. Right. Um, and so the, the the punchline of her joke was that he was just someone of color. Um so I grew up with that, and, and I'm only a little bit bitter about that because I love my parents. Well, I loved my dad, and he's no longer with us, but uh, I love my mom, but she is uh, she's a handful. She really is. She, is. Are they all – is it a southern background? Well, actually, they're from upstate New York. My, my Yeah, my mother was from New Jersey, and my dad was from Long Island, and, you know, she just – they were these really – kind of clueless for different reasons kind of parents like my father worked for ibm he was probably first generation workaholic and i am the second generation mm-hmm. um and so he worked he worked for nasa he worked for uh ibm he would actually always worked for ibm but under contracts for nasa and different various things so he was always really busy like he was always out of town he was always working late and so i don't think in that in that respect he really didn't know what was going on in the house, and my mother was, grew up and went to like a Catholic school with nuns, and she was very sheltered. And I think she actually chose to be sort of naive about the kind of things that I got mm. into when I was yeah. younger. Well, okay, a couple things. Number one, have you watched any of uh, Show Me a Hero? No, this, it's a it's a it's a mini series that HBO is doing right now, and it's about this um, huge fight. Uh, over affordable housing relocation in Yonkers, New York. Um, and David Simon, who did The Wire, he wrote it and Paul Haggis directed. Um, and it's, and Oscar Isaac is in it, who's, I guess, in everything now, but he's great, so that's fine. Um, but, uh, but it's about the, 
It's about a judge's order to relocate um, a bunch of kind of falling apart, dilapidated sort of tenement and 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 ghetto style uh, towers and stuff like that, and and break it up into. Uh, townhouses, affordable living townhouses all through Yonkers and the entire city just goes up in arms and um, they protest and stuff. And that's immediately what flew into my mind when you were talking about it, because I have to relate all things to show business and not real (laughs) life. No, but like it's very interesting because I just two nights ago started watching it and, uh, and it's, I bet you would find it very interesting because there is that it's the, it is the uh, upstate New York racism that you don't see covered or talked about as much as you hear about it. You know, people hmm. still kind of associate the South with all of that kind of behavior. And um, You've always made really good suggestions, so I'll definitely check that out for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I thank you for the compliment. Yeah, I, especially yeah, especially growing up with the parents that you had. Now, oh, the next question I have before I get back to what your grandfather told you is when did your dad pass away? He passed away eight years ago now i think i'm i the one thing i'm also terrible at is just dates and times like i certainly understand that. i'm so bad at it like a timeline of my life is almost impossible to track and it's only going to get worse as you get older because there's only more stacking up and time passes seems to pass more swiftly the more collected experience you have the only thing i'm happy about is that when i get old enough all i'm gonna just do is play back all of the videos and watch all like look at every single picture I ever took. That will be my that will be all I do when I get older because I'm I have so many. You never have time to watch all the videos you take. You never have time to look at all the pictures you've taken, and you can take so many. I've got like two thousand on my phone now. Well, and you have children, so I'm yeah, sure that's that true. adds up. Really before that, really we had fast. dogs, and that's all you take pictures. Of, so. <laughs> Did you? Uh, but what about before you could take video on your phone? Were you a person who had nope. camcorders and things like that? Well, I had. I was an audio kid my whole life. Like, yeah, I'm, that's what I do now. And it's very appropriate that I do that because I loved going to the library when I was a kid and checking out all of the sound effects. Records. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh, yeah. It was totally that's a thing. great. I've since collected a lot of them, actually. But every time my teachers would ask me to do a, a book report or some sort of report that was supposed to be written, I would go to them and say, can I do an audio report instead? And they'd go, oh, how creative. And f- and that was just one of the many ways that you'll come to find out that I was able to shortcut things that were difficult in my life to make them easier for me. Um, because I loved doing it. And what I had, like all these jam boxes and tape recorders and record players and an old amplifier that I found places. I was just that kid in my room that would, mm. I would record all these things live like a, like an old radio show or something like that. Um, and I'd play a record to maybe an environment of some sort. And I would get like, if uh, maybe set up a, an environment of like a, a restaurant or something. And I would have music playing on a different tape recorder and I would bring out plates and I'd kind of make all the noises. And I thought I was just, oh Wait, where did this come from? What were you, what, what inspired all of this? What were you exposed to that made you have those thoughts and enthusiasms? I have no idea <laughs> where it came from. Cause my parents were, you know, they're, as creative as any other parent, honestly, my dad wasn't, my dad would be happy if he had like one picture on a wall. Again, my mother would be happy if she had every Christmas decoration that ever existed on the Mm -hmm. wall. But I, there was no one in show business in my family. There was nobody that did any of that kind of thing. My father, he grew up a potato farmer, um, who just decided he was sick as hell of being a potato farmer. So he went to school at MIT 
and uh, had no money at all, just zero, super poor. Um, and his parent and his his parents were crazy, and um, mm. so really, I don't know where it came from. There's one I know there is one moment in my life that I can always go back to, and it was in between. I think it was around seventh grade. I guess it was in 1984. It's one of the few dates. Or it could have been 87. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I remember going with my neighbors. Uh, they took me in their sweet custom van to downtown Houston where this French musician named Jean-Michel Jarre was playing. And uh, if you look him up, you're going to be surprised to know that like – Oh, I know who that is. Yes. Did he do a bunch of soundtracks? He's done so- – hey, Maurice Jarre. Oh, that's He's Maurice. related sorry, to him. Sorry. Um, this is – this really pretentious kind of French electronic musician who didn't do anything overly complicated musically, uh, but he did do a lot. Like he always did overly complicated things. Like he somehow convinced all of the, he somehow convinced people in downtown Houston to use all of downtown Houston as the stage. And he would project lasers and, and projections up onto the buildings. And I remember at that age, um, you know, it was a time, I guess, when you didn't have to pay attention to your kids as much. They, <laughs> I just wandered off and walked all the way up to the front of the stage just in time to see him playing this laser harp. And it would shoot these. What is that? Uh, if you look up Jean-Michel Jarre laser harp, okay. you'll see it. It's like, it looks just like a bunch of green beams that would shoot way up into the sky. And he would hold his hands in front of him to play the instrument. And that That's- probably was the most... In- Oh my God, that sounds like a religious experience. Oh, it was. I was already I was already really into music at that time. I loved playing the piano. I liked music a lot. So seeing that changed everything. And I that's all I wanted from that moment on was just synthesizers and keyboards and recording equipment. That's wow. That was me. Well, that's. I mean, that's that definitely makes sense. The whole idea of you doing sort of little radio shows where you have sound effects and stuff is just so old timey and charming. And, and it, it makes sense. Of course, on a certain level, it makes sense just because as young people, we love the act of play anyway. And that's what I always think is so kind of embarrassing about being a performer. When people say, you know, how long have you been doing this? You feel like, I guess for me, I have this sheepishness about it, which is like, well, I, the same as you, I just did this when I was a child, but then I, I couldn't outgrow it like you yeah, did, Yeah, you know, but there's, so there's a real direct line there. Like when I think about, you know, how to answer someone saying, you know, when, when do you remember performing and stuff? I, I never say this, but when you were talking about your recording of stuff, I flashed back to just how much my time was spent, you know, making up stories and, and acting things out. And then my mom would bring a tape recorder into my baths and like, I would be telling these like extreme, strange like, nautical stories while I was in the bath, like playing with Burton or Ernie puppets or whatever. Uh, and so, but that's, that's again, that's so direct that you can sort of go, Oh yeah, well you like to pretend then you like to pretend now, but doing, coming up with something so specific and so technical as what you became enthusiastic about so early on and then having it have a through line to now does seem like kind of extraordinary. And what's weird though, it it wasn't one of those moments where I I said, this is exactly what I want to do. Cause I've right. never been that person. In fact, I'm still necess- not necessarily, right. I'm not that person. It's, I think the thing I like the most about the profession that we're in is that I never know from week to week what it's going to be and that Absolutely. I prefer it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you mentioned the thing about play. Uh, 
it's it's weird that we love to do this, and yet we got into a profession that almost makes the concept of play um, awkward in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when people go, hey, do a silly voice real quick, all of a sudden, like, everything inside me just locks up. <laughs> like, I, yeah. uh, uh, I can't do it yeah. on command. Um, yeah. And, and that's what the weirdest thing is. I always said the people who are singers are, like, the who are not singers are always seem like they have the most fun singing. Mm-hmm. Um, and once yeah, I you, hate going to karaoke. Now yeah. <laughs> you can't go to karaoke if you have any, like, if you have any desire to actually sing well. And that's what I hate about karaoke in general. The only time I like karaoke is the Korean style ones, where you go in with like a few of your friends and you're sitting in a room like alone. Yeah, yeah. but the private rooms are fun. But I think uh, some of what we do now is it kind of kills some of the. The, the play that we had and where I still get a lot of that joy is in making music, which I don't make a profession out of, but I still really enjoy doing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. There's, I think that's something that I felt and feared and resisted for a really long time in my twenties when I wasn't pursuing this as a career at all, because I did feel that sense of, am I going to start attaching anxiety or, you know, some a bevy of other words that kind of connote like oh this has become very important in a way that it never had to be before in terms of livelihood and and but you're right even just personality wise there's something about it that I always joke about I might have even said this on the podcast before but I always joke about how when I'm at places where I'm not an active performer and I didn't go there to perform I am beyond uncomfortable if somebody calls me out. You know what I mean? If you're mm-hmm. at a magic yeah. show, for example, yeah. and someone says, you know, I need to volunteer. God forbid someone call on me. I, <laughs> I become so, so shy true. and uncomfortable and awkward. And I think there's this weird meta thing that happens where I worry that it'll be too obvious that I'm a performer. And is that going to affect the magician in a negative way? <laughs> like, will someone think I'm a plant? I mean, there's <laughs> the amount of overthinking that goes yep. into being called upon when I'm not expecting to perform is a absurd it's so (laughs) self-centered that actually reminds me of tabitha once brought me when we were first dating tabitha's my wife for anyone who cares um (laughs) she once took me to as one on one of our early dates she said hey i'm taking you you know uh, out for dinner i go oh where is it she goes oh it's in it's downtown dallas oh okay is this a fancy place she goes i think so maybe so you know, I dress up. I'm wearing a suit, but this is back in a time when my whole head is shaved. I've got nothing but like kind of a weird, cheesy ass goatee. And uh-huh. turns out she's taken me to uh, this murder mystery dinner type thing, oh. and it was mortifying because <laughs> everybody assumed I was part of it. Everyone. Like, uh. I just so happened to get up to text somebody, like probably someone I work with, to go, oh, my God, I'm in my least favorite place of all time. Uh-huh. And just at that moment, like the murder goes down. So everyone looks straight at me because I'm up and I'm on my phone. I'm standing up somewhere. And I, I messed up the entire murder mystery. I think 75 <laughs> percent of people thought I was the killer. So. And what you didn't realize at the time that it was an actual murder mystery. They, did, they were killing someone every night. Um, <laughs> Yeah. In a very real way. Now that I could get into. <laughs> God, I could get into that. Um, did you, first of all, let me just quickly establish this. So you grew up in, in Houston? Uh, time? Maybe. So, you, yeah, maybe we should backtrack a minute. Let me kind of give you a whole kind of parameters as to where we where were. Uh, I guess my parents, they're from, you know, Long Island, New York, New Jersey. Uh, they, my dad got a contract to work uh 
in California when I was like one years old or something like one year old. And then I was there until I was maybe two. And then they moved me. Uh, I think we moved to Texas when I was around five years old. So we moved to Houston, Texas at five. And that's where I, I would, I normally tell people I grew up in Houston cause that's the, that's kind of what I remember the most sure. of growing up. And during that time period, somewhere in the middle of high school, which we were welcome to talk about, I did move to Australia. Uh, we moved oh, to God, Sydney. Did I, know for, that? I don't I know if we I ever talked that. about that, but for about a year and a half to two years, we moved to Australia. And if I could replicate that experience for my children, I think I'm going to try and do it because nothing was better for my life than having to reset at the beginning mm. of high school, like just to meet all new people and then come back to where you're at. Like you leave, figure out who you are and then come back. And it was so remarkably helpful to me. And so, okay. So when, how old were you when you went and then how old were you when you came back? I was a, I was a freshman in high school. Okay. So you were like 14. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was a freshman in high school, left for a year and a half, almost, I think it was a year and a half for two years. Was came, that through NASA? It was, my dad worked for IBM. So at that point he was off of the NASA contract and he, and I guess he and a group of people had invented the whole concept of the automatic teller machine, like basically the ATMs. Oh so my. it was his team of people. Oh, of course he did some remarkable stuff that I could never have possibly done. Um, so they went to Australia to work on a, a contract for Westpac bank, uh, building their database system for their automatic teller stuff. So this was about an 87, 88, uh, around that time. Mm-hmm. And then when I, we were there about that amount of time. And then when I came back to Texas, the counselors looked at all of the work I'd done there. Cause in Australia, you know, they take, you, you do like 20, 30 minute classes. You do like 12 classes a day. And every Wednesday, oh, wow. You just leave school to do whatever the heck you want to do, uh, which is called like sports day. So I really didn't get a whole lot of um, school credit while I was there. Uh (laughs) So when I came back, they gave me the option of saying, hey, you can graduate with your class. um, But you're going to have to take like two math and two science and two English. Or you can just step down a grade and you can – and I was like, what does that mean? Like, Well, I mean – barely anything. You could maybe take an English class and then all electives. I'm like, sold. Uh Um, So yeah, that's what, that's my story. And so most of my life I lived in Houston until I went to college, at which point I moved to Dallas and my parents moved to Florida. And did you, when you say that you moved there uh, and then you sort of had this opportunity to reset yourself, not once but twice, I suppose, what do you feel changed? Well, leaving the United States in 1988 was probably the best thing a human could possibly have ever done (laughs) because it was in the peak of big Texas hair. It was in the peak of uh, (laughs) just, you know, cocaine and insanity and like personalities that are larger than life and max headroom and all this insanity. And when I moved to Australia, all that, all that went away because in Australia that time period, because they're, you know, they're about 10 or at least at that time, they're 10, 15 years behind the the States as far as just where their concepts were. And even a lot of their technology was kind of backdated to some degree. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, that just I'll quickly say that I feel like that was certainly true for me when I was in France, when I was a teenager. And now 
God, uh, how gross, but really, the internet, everybody. I mean, it's just not like that. For for my experiences, that how I felt when I was in France as a teenager versus how I feel when I'm in France now, and pretty much ever since the internet <laughs> is, like, all of a sudden, everything is sort of happening in syncopation rather than feeling like you go somewhere like Australia and sort of go, oh, I've We've they've just got new kids it. on the block exactly. or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, the worst thing about it is I got, uh, the worst thing that happened in Australia, which I'll I'll go back to everything else that happened. But while I was there, that stupid song um, uh, Ten Thousand Miles" was super popular, <laughs> and I hated it then. And then it was the one thing they got before America. And then I came back to the United States, and like five years later, it was popular in the United States again. It was my worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we moved there, and I I'd say the most profound difference is that. Australians at that time, whereas in the United States, it, the bigger you are, the crazier you were, the louder your genes were, the in most, the more insane you were, the more popular you were. And of course, popularity was super important to me mm-hmm. then. But when I got to Australia, it was the more relaxed you were. It was the really traditional, almost like 1950s. America, America idea of what was cool. Like there were bullies. There were like these dudes that literally did freaking nothing, but they would sit at the back of the bus and go, Oh, am I? Hey, dude. Well, actually I kind of already <laughs> screwed up my impression because they would never talk to you. They just uh-huh. go, Oi. and that was it. People were like, I love you. You're amazing. Like I'm not going to do anything. Did I might, um, the whole concept of, just being as kind of relaxed, stonerish, just um, not putting any effort into anything, that was what was really cool mm-hmm. in Australia. But as much as I hated it at first, I suddenly realized that what came along with it was everyone was really natural out there because we all went to private schools. Um, they're more in, you know, in European culture, it's more common to be in a private school than a public school. Um, mm-hmm. And so there was no big hair. There was no crazy, flashy anything. And uh, I really came to appreciate that. And I also appreciated the freedom I had there. Because in Australia, there was just no – at that time, there was really no crime. And public transportation was so good that my parents let me do anything I wanted to do. I could take a train from Sydney to go visit a friend like three hours away and they wouldn't really care. They Mm. just didn't – they wouldn't even know really. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got to do so much stuff out there. And I was able to kind of parlay that experience coming back to Texas to really turn that into like a real popularity thing. Because Chris left. He did something cool and then came back. And then, I, you know, at that point I ran for like class president, student council president, choir president, and drama president. I was – I saw the movie Rushmore and I cried later on in life because that was me like that was Mm. that was me in high school i would join and started every club that there was um and i was just an insane overachiever so i I was really happy to be back in high school uh because i was probably one of the few people that absolutely loved junior high and high school Mm -hmm. did you have little like did you have some nice uh australian romances that then ended tragically when you had to... Well, I learned a lot of things there, yeah. <laughs> uh, I learned a lot of things there, but what's weird is that I had just come off of having like a really weird shock uh, in the United States. Um, something I learned uh, that I'm not, I, like, I've am i learned to this day, I'm not going to ever let my daughter do, and that was 
date the person who lives across the street from you. Oh, no. My parents didn't realize how dangerous it was for me to date this girl that lived literally across, walking distance across the street from my yeah. house in Texas. And her parents, she was kind of a latchkey kid, and her dad was an alcoholic, and her parents just didn't care. Um, and she, you know, she, I think, got her hormones before I did, and I was kind of almost strangely forced into doing weird things i wasn't entirely sure i wanted to do just yet mm-hmm. um so i was kind of gun shy from that whole idea um so when i went to australia like like you know getting the girls wasn't necessarily my my thing but i did date a few girls while i was out there well because you come in and you're exotic in that way right you know you you're the american in a place where i've never got used to people in new zealand telling me that they like my accent <laughs> yeah that's i mean i made a lot of great friends there but i also was very disliked there um it, to some degree because a lot of them thought that you know we were just flag waving yankees at that point mm. and you know, and I've I've always had a fairly sizable personality, and I always want everything to be different at all times. So when I got there, I was just like, I'm sure a force to be reckoned with, and I never had to deal with just having to make a whole new set of friends before. So I spent the first you know amount of time evaluating, you know, what who my friends were going to be, and mm. and just like in a in a bad film um, or a good film, the first person I met was this really interesting dude named Adrian. And I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. Super cool. Turns out I had befriended like that kid that everybody said was like the huge freaking nerdy dorky kid that everyone kind of made fun of. Mm. Although he was probably the most interesting in retrospect, uh, probably the most interesting person I met out there. Um, but that's so how. you immediately sort of alienated yourself. Well, I had the, I was still cool friends factors. with him, but it was one of those like, uh, okay, we're friends, we can hang out, but I just don't want anyone to know that we're really friends. Oh no! It was a terrible thing to do. Like I did a lot of terrible things, uh, but that was definitely one of them. And the sad thing is that because you know we didn't even have email back then, I wouldn't even know how to get in touch with this dude. I can't even remember his last name. So. Well, yeah, that's tough if you can't remember his last name. Although I will say Starley Kine, a producer and a buddy of mine who works on This American Life, uh, who now has her own podcast, has a podcast called Mystery Show. And uh, I'm going to give it a quick shout out because she solves mysteries. I mean, that one, I guess you could probably hire a private investigator to solve. But she she gets these sort of kooky mysteries from people who would never go to the trouble of hiring a private eye, or even they just don't have the kind of information that a private eye would really even know what to do with um, and tries to get to the bottom of things. And this would be a fun thing for her as we could send her to Australia to track down Adrian Man, that based would be, on whatever limited information you have. That'd be really, that'd be so nice. And he'd probably be so like uninterested to even connect <laughs> with me again. Go, oh, that asshole American kid that like wouldn't like be friends with me in public. Oh, I'm really excited to right. catch up with him again. <laughs> Well, you could make amends. It could be this whole emotional thing where you. I, I don't. I don't have emotions. <laughs> Did you? Do you keep in touch with anyone from Australia? I a handful. There was there one guy named Christopher Tovo. Um, he was this. Um, he was this really really talented dude. Um, that I knew in some of my art and music classes and stuff. He was a drummer, and it turns out he's a well known. 
photographer now. So oh, I haven't cool. caught up with him, but I do, thanks to Facebook and other things, do kind of see what his life is about now. Sure. I think we could be friends uh, if he lived closer. So. And uh, so when you came back, uh, when you came back from Australia, were you going in to matriculate with a bunch of students that you did know from when you were younger, or were there uh, also a ton of new faces at the public school? Did you go to public school or private school when I you came w- back? I went to private school in okay. Australia. I went to public school in the United States. Okay, and God, that really is like Rushmore. I mean, aside from the Australia part. So let's uh, let's go back to that story I told you about that girl between sixth and seventh grade. Uh huh. You can, Which, by the way, is a good thing to talk about because that is something that you don't hear about as often. And, and I 100% believe that particularly as young people, you know, from ages like fifth grade all the way up through high school, there is, an, uh, if not an equal amount, because I, I wouldn't go that far. And I, I certainly don't know any numbers or any statistics and statistics lie anyway. But there are so many guys that I know who felt pressured into doing things that they weren't comfortable with. And that doesn't really get spoken of the same way that you know young women talk about having felt uncomfortable or feeling forced or you know well yeah i, I mean and fortunately it never went it never got to that full point because yeah. actually that the moment where it became super pressure to kind of go the whole distance yeah that's where fortunately my good nature like my my good sense came to me and i was like i can't i can't date you anymore like i'm yeah. sorry uh but of course with that said i'm on the way back from Australia and like at this point this is you know easy e is really popular oh, <laughs> cool j like i'm just one of those typical american kids that was really inspired for some dumb reason by hip hop lyrics that we had absolutely no connection to whatsoever and i was feeling so cool and i was ready to like jam and i my goal was just to come back and date that girl again and we were going to hit it and quit it you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and uh- and of course, I found out that I was so remarkably popular when I came back that I didn't have to date her after all. Like I could do whatever I wanted to, and so that's what up, started yeah. a long string of these really weird, like uh, these weird relationships that I got into. There were th- these serial monogamous kind of relationships. I was always in some sort of relationship in high school and it was always deep and I was mm-hmm. always like, you know, making the mixtapes and I was always, <laughs> and it was also kind of a, like, I was a smart guy and I've, as I said earlier, like I'm always looking for the way to kind of find the shortcut around things, like, mm-hmm. like find a way to kind of cheat the system in a way that doesn't hurt anybody, but like benefits me. Mm-hmm. So I was, as I told you, I was student council president. And the choir person, blah, blah, blah. That's what's so crazy is, uh, just as a side note, the fact that you were that much of an overachiever, but still, now all I can think about is you as a tiny little Max in Rushmore. Um, Because to have that much ambition and to cut corners, I mean, I just don't, these guys know who listen to the podcast, I, I just wasn't. I mean, I was competitive sort. I mean, I, I had a competitive edge, I guess, but I, I didn't have a lot of ambition in that way. My ambition was to spend time by myself or be at a movie theater or, you know what I mean? Just sort oh. of daydreaming or I didn't, I wasn't ambitious to stay at school any longer than needed unless I was rehearsing for a show. And so this idea of wanting to cut corners, but also having that ambition to be, you know, at the forefront of all of these things is a really interesting combination to me. Well, I never, I never cheated at any of the things I was successful at, but I always, but I sometimes used things to my advantage that I probably shouldn't have. Like, 
because I was all of these things, my teachers trusted me entirely. Mm -hmm. And so I would use that to get out of any class I ever wanted to get out of. I go, uh, Mr. Pullen needs my help uh, accompanying the fifth grade, sorry, the eighth grade choir uh, at the university uh, for this TMEA thing. Can I, I I need to get out of class. I'm like, of course. I also found keys to my school. (gasps) Um, You lucky duck. And I found, like, I guess a janitor had left them there. And I feel like I'm kind of scared to even even talk about this a little bit because I, I know that they're, they'd be pissed to find this out. But I literally found a set of keys. So I would go up to the school, like, with girls that I had met. Oh, that's so awesome. And I would do the most cheesy <laughs> stuff with them. Like, I would... I would set it up to where I played the piano and I would set up like a grand piano on a stage and like have a spotlight on it. And oh, this and is I'd, so John Hughes. It's oh, like some kind of wonderful. I would romance them so hard. And I wasn't always the kind of guy that was like trying to have sex with them. I just wanted to touch their boobs. That was pretty much like the most important thing to me. Um, well, it sounds like if you were st- if you were also having these long, deep phone conversations where neither one of you wanted to hang up first, I mean, that's also just the the rush of feeling special or excitement or the hormones that don't necessarily doesn't necessarily have to translate into consummating it. It's because the consummation is just kind of the excitement and the feeling of that intimacy and stuff too, I would think. I mean, that's yeah. how it was for me. Oh, and that's why it, the, it would be one intense relationship and then immediately be like, ah, she said something weird. I don't think I really want to date her anymore. And then I would date like instantly date somebody else. And these <laughs> wouldn't be people from my school. I would, because I was a, so involved in extracurricular stuff. I meet, I would, I went to like six proms. I went, I oh went my. all, oh, I called myself the promenader at some point because I, I bought oh God, my own that is tux. almost reason enough for me to stop this podcast right now. <laughs> I was, I, and I wasn't just going there to like, you. like take advantage of people. I was just going because I, you know, I'd get genuinely excited about it. I, I Well, it I, sounds like you had the same kind of boundless enthusiasm for dating and that kind of energy as you did for all of these activities that you were involved in yeah yeah. you're just going a mile a minute and you just described yourself as add and that's not the most uncommon thing in the world is to sort of have that machine that little wheel that's kind of spinning and kind of sending you out into a million different directions at once and and that there's something there's some part of you that feels a need for that yeah i it was definitely something that drove me in high school although i was still always really busy i'd always make time to do you know, every play and every, like, it was always competing in this or that with whether it was choir or drama or something. But at the same time, like, man, it was just the rush of, like, meeting a new girl and getting to know that person so incredibly uh, deeply. It just didn't, it, it was, God, it's so embarrassing to imagine like, all <laughs> the things I must have said. I can't to this school. That's so great. Yeah. Oh, well, wait. and and I guess if these women didn't women, if these young <laughs> if these young ladies didn't go to the same school, then how preserved was your reputation? I mean, were you oh, able flawless. to kind of skirt just like you were able to skirt certain responsibilities with classes and stuff? Were you able to sort of skirt uh, the responsibility of being a heartbreaker? Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was my my reputation was just crystal clear because. You know, people would still hide their beer from me sometimes because they thought I was the the type of person that was just so good that I wouldn't even want to. They, they'd be embarrassed for me to see them with a beer. Oh wow! While at the same time, like I'm the one that like kind of snuck into the. I used my keys actually to get into the <laughs> the drama room the night before one of the plays, and we got high in one of the the, the sound booth, and then 
immediately went to <laughs> Taco Bell. <laughs> and then then I saw a friend of mine that was there and I was like, eat, like I, I was just, it was the first time, remember? So I'm like sitting right next to somebody that I was paranoid that they were going to know I was high. So I, I talked to him for a minute and I go, all right, man. See you later. But of course, he's sitting right next to me. He's not going anywhere. Like, <laughs> I had said goodbye to him, even though neither of us were leaving, which made it even more awkward. Uh-huh. Um, but God, the Taco Bell was so good back then. Well, at the end of the day, you were still a red-blooded American male. I mean, listen, <laughs> you had to smoke pot and, and eat Taco Bell. That was going to be another question I asked was, yeah, did you find time or did you did you get into any anything heavier? Did you drink and do I, smoke pot or? I drank some. Like I wasn't a heavy drinker. I've never been a heavy drinker. I still mm-hmm. am not that heavy of a drinker. Like my just didn't never stuck with me. I would always get kind of sick before I ever get got really drunk. So it was, mm-hmm. plus I always have this control issue of not wanting to be so far removed from. Boy, I do too. My capacity, man. like I'm. That sort of that is it's like this trigger that kicks in. I think there's a there's for some of us there's this trigger that kicks in when the rest of us or others are able to really feel the kind of um fluidity and like the liquid feeling of just being like, "Yeah, I'm giddy." There's some some of us have that trigger where I I there's an anxiety or stress that comes along with that do you have after trouble, a certain point. Do you have trouble smoking weed? I can't smoke pot. I can't anymore. I smoked a lot of it when I was in high school, but um, as regular listeners listeners to the podcast know, I started having horrible, like total Anxiety. panic attack yeah. freakouts. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and I couldn't do it. And so I have not smoked pot since I was like eighteen. Well, I can tell you as somebody else who suffered from that for a long time too, because I used to be in high in college. I was constant. It was like yeah. constant. But then I reached a certain point where. I just couldn't do it anymore. Like every time somebody would offer me something, you know, in the past like 10, 15 years, I'd have to go, well, give me a pen and paper too. Cause I'm going to start writing all the crap that's wrong with me down <laughs> on it. Cause that's what I go through. Like I, mm. uh, so I will say though, that if you can find the right place and the right time and it's super relaxing and there's like, you don't even have to talk, it can be fun, but I, I, I kind of, don't well, have that that's it. Much I've, I, yeah, I mean, whenever this comes up, I I feel like a broken record. But it's very. There are so many people now who smoke pot for anxiety, and the fact that it's become very useful medically sure. for a lot of people, and that there are so many different strains, and it's just been so perfected on so many levels for so many different people that I I do. You know, I'll have somebody who loves it. You know, a Doug Benson or someone sort of say. Well, listen, it's been so long since you smoked it. You were just smoking whatever right. weed was around mm-hmm. in Flagstaff, that's- Arizona. You know, get into this stuff that's just totally mellow, that's made for people with anxiety. And it is very appealing. But I, once you've had a few of those experiences, the idea of subjecting yourself to the possibility of even one more time of that is, boy, you really got to want to get high to push past yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, if soon, if it's ever legalized, hopefully it will be in Texas. That's, I'm very excited about that. Not because I can only do something if it's legal, but just because <laughs> it'll be so available and there will be experts in this area that I'll be able to kind of consult with to find no, the right, you're right But I've always said that, man, I'm just going to save that for when I'm super, super old and paranoid anyway. And all I'm going to do <laughs> is just sit in a bed and smoke weed and, and watch reruns of all my kids' videos like over That's and right. over again. 
and and look for weird signs that there may be aliens from outer space. Yeah, and that and only get high enough to where I can go freak out about the neighbor that's trying to date Hero or something. Exactly, like that. exactly. It's going to be great. Um, what kind of so you when you were in high school, you were into a lot of um, hip hop stuff. Is that what you were saying to me? Or are you, you across oh, the board yeah. interested I, in a bunch of different I, stuff? It started with horrible stuff like Easy E and and to some degree LL Cool J. Uh, but eventually it sort of led to a path of like uh, a tribe called Quest and Diggable Planets and all the actually the pretty amazing, you know, East Coast hip hop. Mm-hmm. But those earlier, like the aforementioned ones, the, the, the horrible like I'm easy, e, I got bitches galore, you may have a lot of bitches, but I got much more. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of stuff was so empowering to a, a teenager for some dumb reason, only because it just felt larger than – anything I was capable of imagining. I see that. Uh, and so my friends, you know, we'd ride around in his car playing it really loud for some dumb reason in our, and we were these upper middle class kids that just looked ridiculous doing it, of course. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, re- I don't necessarily regret it because it ultimately led to a lot of great things that I listened to. Were you writing poetry to these girls too? Oh, in yeah. Addition? yeah. Yeah. The worst, the worst. <laughs> I, and I had to be, I'd be super creative where I'd like write this poem for him. And then after I'd finished reading, I'd go, look at the left hand. And then it would be their name spelled out in all the capital letters on the first like, <laughs> sentence of each line. Like it was so deep and meaningful. Uh, but That's the weird wonderful. thing is I wrote them poems. I don't think I ever wrote anything down that was about my, you know, I never kept a journal or any of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That uh, was my next question. No, I never did. Did you play any sports? I can't remember if you said but in the long laundry list of things that you were achieving when you were in high school. Uh, I I ran track only long enough. I, I played ba- sorry in junior high. I played basketball only because I had a terrible like in a tremendous growth spurt. Like the voice I have now is almost the same voice I had when I was in seventh grade. Oh wow! Uh, my voice dropped dramatically, like overnight, practically, mm-hmm. and. And with that came a huge growth spurt, and I was very, very tall. So, like, hey, be a center and hold the ball higher than anyone else. And I did that for just a little bit. I was never good at it. I was always terrible at it. Mm -hmm. Um, I played soccer, but I was always terrible at that. Track and field I ended up was great at uh, before they could incur – like, there weren't a lot of, like, you know, African-Americans to run against at my school. So, like, I did okay um, because, you know, I was tall, and that was my only benefit for a little while and then everybody mm-hmm. caught up and you know you know when you eventually meet people who are good at something uh it makes you feel really shallow about what you're trying to do so i i, I kind of always avoided sports i still don't really like sports that much i'm i'm more of a music kind of art creative stuff kind and of what stuff. what you were you making i know i mean listen i terribly terribly desire to get my ears on some of the stuff that you were recording oh, when you were shuffling plates around and playing tinkling music to create a scene. But did, what were the, what were you making music when you were in high school? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, gosh, I know you played yes. piano. I just didn't know. Well, one of the things after seeing Jean-Michel Jarre, the famous <laughs> French composer, the um, famous laser harpist, yeah, the laser composer, it inspired me. Well, actually it's weird. Is that it, was, it just was the culmination of everything I was sort of moving toward because when I was 10 years old, uh, even before that first kind of inspiration, ever since I was old enough to to ask for anything, I would always ask for some sort of musical instrument. So I had my first keyboard when I was 
six or seven years old, and I had my first synthesizer when I was ten, mm-hmm. and. And I'm talking about like a Casio CZ101. It had actual physical synthesis in it. You could make your own sounds, very crude ones. And oh, I, wow. I had no idea what I was doing, but I, yeah, I kind of had figured out how to do stuff in it. But then when I was in junior high school, uh, my dad had brought home this, this uh, it was called Yamaha, I think it was Composer. It was for our old PC computer, and I could hook up a keyboard to it and... Uh, and write songs and and track stuff like multi-track through MIDI. God, like, you really were ahead of the game. I guess that shouldn't surprise me from a son of a an, an IBM engineer, you know? And what's weird is I never used it in any profound way like he did. I just, for whatever reason, I was skilled at figuring things out, but only good enough to be dangerous with it and not enough to really know what I was doing. Did um, you did you make little synthesizer songs? Oh, for the girls yeah, too? so many. <laughs> And the, the, just the sad part is I don't have any way to prove it. Like, I, I have vivid memories of it. Um, I have, I, Do any of these girls still have their cassette tapes, I wonder? Oh, I hope it's so. Me too. Girls. Listen, I'm, I have to believe that at least 10 to 12 girls that you went out with uh, listen to this podcast. Ladies, <laughs> I need to ask you to send me those cassette oh God, tapes post-haste. Don't, don't Do send, them, send to them to Chris. Do not send them to Janet Varney at send all. Send them directly to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they will not oh, be sent God, to you the ever. Best. Oh, that would be the best. <laughs> oh, well, what's okay. funny? The, the, uh, the, I, we need to get into this mash game in a second, but um, but what I think has been really fun for me about hearing all of this is that um, one of the things that I love about you is that you uh, you do have this big personality, but um, you're really there's it's just as possible that somebody passing you on the street or or interacting with you even seeing you at a convention unless you're kind of in full force you're 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 kind of keep your cards close to the chest i guess is sort of what i mean and those are kind of my favorite people because i'm not that way at all so i always am very attracted to people who are uh very wry and very funny and can make me laugh really hard but don't it doesn't seem like they even have to change the timbre of their voice at all to make that happen. Um, <laughs> so it's really fun to hear, to think about you being this busy bee sort of flitting around and doing all this different stuff as a younger person. There's, it's, a, it's a fun disconnect for me. Well, I'll tell you what ended it all. Um, <laughs> oh, no. T- I'm serious. This is like what changed everything. Um, it's a weird – It's if we were running a documentary, this would be that part that changed it all. Yeah. My, it was my senior year in high school, and we were on a choir trip. And you know how choir trips can be. <laughs> um, this dude that I used to listen to um, A Tribe Called Quest with said, we're in the parking lot loading up. I'm choir like president at this point. He but goes, you're also the promenader. I'm the promenade. <laughs> you could just. You think that. I'm ever going to let you leave that? Live that down? Never. No, that's never my in a million years. So he goes, "Hey, man, just letting you know, I brought a fifth of like scotch or something with me in my bag." I'm like, "Oh," and it's too late to do anything, and I don't want to turn this guy in. Like he's my he's my friend. So I'm like, uh, "Whatever." Here's how I here's how you do this. You don't turn him in. You just contain it. You know, you make sure that it's cool. Didn't know that this guy was sort of the dude that kind of gets really drunk and then has violence issues Mm -hmm. um, and just trashed a hotel room. And I was sort of roped into all that. And I ended up spending the last 20 days of my senior year 
in what's called alternative education placement. It was like, like it's sort of in school suspension. Oh shit! Uh, where you spend the last twenty days like in a trailer on campus, like kind of in lockdown. Yeah. And so, wow, that is a real shift. No one after everything that you had done up to that point, no one said like, oh, this isn't our guy. Well, a lot of the teachers at that point all of a sudden had the veil lifted. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is what was going on all along. And I had some turn on me really badly, not in any super negative way. But uh, the the cool thing, though, about it is that it, it it immediately took me out of that that kind of overachiever weird kind of high school like i'm trying to be something for everybody else and it gave me it oddly enough gave me a strange perspective about hmm. kind of who i am and what i was doing and like who my friends were and uh I, I, the whole student count, the whole student body had like t-shirts that were like free chris sabbath and stuff like that <laughs> i'm not even kidding like it was ridiculous you're uh, now your whole your entire high school is emerging of three different john hughes movies <laughs> yeah like we've got Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. We've got some kind of wonderful. I feel like there's some sixteen candles in here. There's Rushmore, and and so it gave me a lot of perspective. And well, just to let you know, I couldn't go out just like any other kid. When they gave me the like my desk to sit in at in school suspension, it ended up being one of the teacher style like L shaped desks. It was mm-hmm. the biggest desk I've ever sat at. <laughs> and so I went to a formal place that was in League City and I got a name placard that had my name oh, like God. on it. They coaches oh, hated God. me so much for being in there. I like I put up like a bulletin board and I put up like <laughs> all this stuff to make myself comfortable because dude I'm gonna be there for you know twenty days. Oh my um, God. And so that's actually what started to focus me. Before I went to college, I went to music school. That's when I met a lot of the people that really influenced who I am now. And that's where I chilled out a lot. Like I, I smoked you know, I smoked when I was in college, and that really kind of mellowed me out. And my my sense of humor evolved into something more like what my dad's sense of humor was, which was just say something under your breath that makes everybody laugh instead of shout something like I would in high school. I remember um, shouting my own name in a movie theater, which was my philosophy what? of like, if you want to know if there's anyone that knows who you are in the movie theater, if like any of your friends are there, don't like like shout something stupid. Just shout your own name and anyone who knows you will turn around and look at you. Uh-huh. Um, that was, Why wouldn't everybody turn around and look at you? Well, they would, but at least the people <laughs> that knew you would know like that you're there. And like, hey, Chris, how's it going? Um, so that really focused me. And... I think we should probably focus this, this <laughs> conversation right now. You said you had something to do. What's this mash? Oh, thing? yeah. I'm going to play this mash game with you. I, I don't know if you... Is this mansion, ever... apartment, oh, shack, yeah. and house? Oh, it certainly is, my friend. It oh, God. It certainly is. I'm I used gonna... to play the hell out of that game. That doesn't surprise me at all, um, but delights me. Uh, I, I try to customize my categories, at least some of them, to uh, befit the conversation that I've just had. So, Oh, no. <clears throat> The first thing I'm going to start out with is uh, three, I guess, three either pieces of music or albums, something like that, that you kind of wish that you could say you were responsible for. Like, oh, that thing? Yeah, no, I, I actually composed that. I know you think that so-and-so did. Or, you know, that band? Yeah, I wrote that song, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wow. They would have to be... Um, a, uh Okay, if I'm going to have to also frame this into what I loved in high school, which I can't necessarily admit for all of these things that i would love to this day but um one would have to be 
A Tribe Called Quest, Low End Theory. Um, let's see. Uh, and the other one would be the song that could get every high school girl's, like, juices flowing. <laughs> and that would have been Sting's Fields of Gold. Oh, Man, that, sure. Um, and let's see. The other one would be... Uh, oh, okay. There was, there was a song in high school I loved called... You'll have to look it up. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, is that uh, uh, Crash Test Dummies? Exactly. Yeah. And, and I love that song partially because it was a great song and partially because it was the only song that was ever written in my register. Yes, yes. Um, All of the Crash Test Dummy songs. He has such a low voice. Yeah, so that that would have to be my that had to be my third. That's a great that's a great uh shout out to that song cuz I a lot of people boy that's a divisive band. I mean some people are like god I couldn't hate them more and other people uh, oh, sure. think that their weird great esoteric stuff is kind of awesome. Um I guess you can probably guess what category I fall into although I don't ever listen to them so I guess it's an appreciation from afar but I actually haven't uh, listened to them probably 20 years so I'm probably yeah. going to download that song as soon as trot I trot that out this. ASAP yeah. and sing along. Karaoke style. Uh, okay, next is um, three places in the world that you would like to have a vacation home that you could just go to whenever. Mm. That would be in Tokyo, Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be um, an island which has no name. Uh, and I, I couldn't even tell you where that would be. Just to, it had to have sure. really good internet. Yep. An island with great internet. Great. Um and the last one would be, uh, let's see, the, gosh, where would it be? It's funny that I've been everywhere in the world. I can only think of one actual place I would love to. Uh, I one, know you love Tokyo. You really d- you don't leave a lot of room for anything else because you love I, Japan so much. I'm obsessed with it. Uh, so let's do. Maybe somewhere else in Japan, like Kyoto or something. Yeah, I'd love I love Kyoto. Maybe Osaka, Osaka. but let, let's not. I want right. to be more. I, I want to think of somewhere else. You want to be uh, more diverse? How, how about? Dare you? I want to be. I have to be. Um, <laughs> I'd say the last place would be maybe uh, maybe Sydney, Australia. Maybe I'll go back there. I liked it very much. It's a great town, isn't it? I loved it. Um, okay, three char- uh, not characters. Let me say this: three video game worlds that uh, actually are real worlds in some capacity. You're not in danger, so somehow you're protected. Uh, so if you want to go into some place that's sort of dark because you have an interest in it, um, know that you won't die, I guess, unless you wanted mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. But uh, three – so three worlds, three game worlds that you wish you could kind of go into and oh, visit for one reason or another. These should be pretty easy. That would yeah. be like anywhere in uh, Red Dead Redemption. Okay. Uh, anyone who plays games knows that that's probably one of the best games ever made. Uh, the next part, uh, place would be uh, somewhere in the, the – the Pac-Man world, um, just to experience it. And the last place would be, hmm, where, uh, where could we go? These are good questions, by the way. I Thank wish you everybody very much. asked me these kind of questions. Uh, the last one would be in, oh, wow. Uh, the last one actually would be any sort of Grand Theft Auto kind of area maybe the 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 landscape of grand theft auto 5 which i know could just probably just be 
Los Angeles with no rules. But right. uh, the the idea of being able to do the sorts of horrific things you're able to do in the <laughs> show with absolutely no consequences sure. sounds fun to me. Too. Sure, sure, sure. Um, okay. Uh, let's say you wake up tomorrow. This is a perennial favorite. You wake up tomorrow and uh, Matrix style, you've sort of downloaded three skills um, that you would normally have to take a ton of time becoming an expert at. Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. I would love to, uh, to be able to play the guitar effortlessly. Um, cause I'm just something I just don't take the time to ever learn how to do. Mm-hmm. I would love to time travel, um, which I know takes a really long time to figure out. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> You might as well take advantage of this m- crazy, fictitious question yeah, that I'm asking. Um, another, another thing would be to uh, – let's see. I'm good at so much stuff, Janet. You have no oh, idea. Boy. Um, oh, I mean, there's not boy. much left. Oh, uh, boy. Maybe to speed read? I, I always get very tired reading books because I read them at the pace that I um, – that I would speak them aloud uh-huh. and I always fall asleep while I'm trying to read long extended things. So maybe right, that would be. Some, yeah. Let's get you some speed reading skills. That's a diverse group of skills right there. Uh, now that you said time travel, I feel uh, it behooves me to ask you three places and times that you would like to be able to visit um, with the sort of, a, again, the same as the video game, you kind of have a protective bubble around sure, you. So sure. you're not going to die. Uh, the, of course the, um, let's see. I would, I would love to – I mean all of them would most likely be in the future because I've never really been a, a dude who like loves to live in the past. Although mm-hmm. if I could go back to like the 19 – the late 70s, early 80s would be awesome to kind of watch some of the stuff that I remember happen again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. OK. I'm going to put that in. And then the – you know, the, the other one would be like maybe the distant future and then – Maybe okay. The distant future, as in maybe a hundred years from now, because mm-hmm. if you go too much too far, there it just wouldn't make any sense to you. Probably exactly. Uh, how about and then maybe some sort of uh, maybe some sort of like a, a feudal Japan. Like uh, um, mm-hmm. let's go there. Okay, great. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that <clears throat> there are so many times in history that we've seen depicted either at museums and the actual places they occurred or being able to go walk through an area that has been preserved for one reason or another. And then also just what you see in fiction and, and in movies and stuff, the idea of actually being in the place and time when that was just regular life is kind of makes me want to pee my pants, but in a good way. Um, yeah, yeah. It's so crazy. Um there's also okay. a part of like like the 1950s sounds kind of cool to me too, or any of these eras that you kind of feel like you know and a lot about. Yeah. Uh, but just to be able to experience it firsthand would Agreed. be pretty brilliant. I feel like if I actually went all the way to like you know 1185, I'd probably get bored kind of quickly because I'm like, mm-hmm. what is going on? I don't <laughs> know. I have no connection to any of this. This is yeah. really boring. Yeah. Um, well, it's like when you hear when when you hear jokes. I don't know. Every every once in a while, a science podcast. It seems like something someone will trot something out that's this that's like a joke from you know twelve hundred. And uh, and I, I can't remember what I, I feel like. I just recently heard this. It might have been stuff you should know, but um, but re- hearing what jokes were like 
in other t- places and times and realizing that they just have no, there's nothing. Yeah. doesn't sound like a joke. You don't yeah. understand it. There's no re- topical reference point. There's just, it's so absolutely devoid of anything that you would consider humorous, that it's just a complete mystery. It would be really fun. Now that I'm saying this out loud to sort of be able to like yeah. bop around in time and just watch people uproariously laugh as someone says something that you're just, because Shakespeare, at least what we know as Shakespeare is still really funny. Right. But there's, but you know that there's, there was like stuff that was happening that was so specific to this one guy in this one village or something. It'd be really fun to hear someone say something and just have zero comprehension of why it was funny, but just see people bust a gut. That oh yeah. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> like a native American, like corn. Am I right? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? You know, corn. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, the, although what you do, you actually kind of remind me of, unfortunately, you know, as a voice director, you see a lot of actors that come through, and when I was first doing this, I actually was seeing a lot of like the old, the old school guys come through, the guys who are retired now. Mm. But sometimes, what exactly what you described oh, sounds true. exactly like some of my experiences with these dudes. <laughs> oh, no. Like this one guy come in, man. This part reminds me of that that movie that had uh, Warren McHenry and, <laughs> and, and Darlene McNamara called <laughs> "She Leaves It at Night," and he goes, "I don't know about that." But I'd come back later if I were you, and and you have to kind of <laughs> chuckle along with them, go like, oh yeah, yeah, I don't know any of those people that you just mentioned. Uh, that's great. Uh, that's one of my biggest nightmares is to be uh-huh. stuck in one of those. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good old Darlene McNamara. Um, okay, next one is three, uh, and I'm gonna. Uh, I apologize. Uh, I'm gonna uh, widen this out because we were sort of talking about the. Um, the partaking of uh, certain non-food or drink uh, mm-hmm. recreational items, but um, three things that you could put in your body. It could be pizza. It could be marijuana. It could be margaritas. Uh, in my case, it could be gluten. Um, things that, that uh, maybe aren't the best Man, you know for, you for party, one reason girl. or another. Uh, really. uh, three things that for one reason or another you can't have all the time because it's not great for you, but in this alternate universe, it's actually, they're actually good for you. Hmm. Uh, I guess uh, I, if, if it was possible, I would eat like nothing but those red... Uh, gummy bears, those red cinnamon bears, uh-huh. <laughs> that or hot tamales, which I believe That's are made great. of the same substance. Yeah. I, in fact, perhaps it's poop. The hot out tamales of that I like because they have the slightly hard shell that gives mm-hmm. way. But those are the ones where I've in in my later years I have picked up a, a larger than necessary box uh-huh. and maybe a movie theater and felt the effects of eating an entire box of that afterwards yeah. and it's just miserable. So that would have to be one. That's great. Um, great use of the the, the this particular um, category. Uh, there, it would have to be the other thing I would love to ingest and it be exactly like the first time I ever did it because I haven't even even attempted it. Uh, but only a handful of times in my life was like the first time I ever took like, psychedelic mushrooms mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. was just one of the most incredible, palpable, in- insane. I say palpable. It's like impalpable moments of my entire life. Like I, I it was a, a spirit journey for me. Mm. So if I could do that safely Great. again and get the same sort of a, like effect out of it, I would love that. Great. Um, and another thing would be uh, what other thing could I have that I can't have? Um because there's some things I shouldn't have a lot that I that I would uh, let's see. God, 
I can't think of a third one. Uh, what what would a third one be? Like, uh, I, I, I can't ask for a suggestion from you because I can't think. No, that's whatever. true. But is there something that, I mean, well, the hot tamales being a very good example. But so there isn't anything that's sort of even in like the cookie family or like the sort of uh, – this is the Philly cheesesteak sandwich that would cause my heart to stop if I now, ate it. Now, okay, yeah. Now, now you're talking about food allergies. Sure. Like, if if I could eat nothing but Swiss cheese for the rest of my life, <laughs> I'd be totally happy with that. That's um, great. But I would no longer be married. Great, great. <laughs> Understood. Loud and clear. Speaking of married. Loud and clear is, is absolutely correct. Loud and clear. Loud and clear. Uh, I need to apologize to your beautiful wife, Tabitha. Um, but this is a math game, so I do need to ask you for three girls in this alternate universe uh, with whom you have either some just sexy temporary times or sort of your alternate universe wife. And uh, and it can be, you know, anyone from any era, any age. It can be like Natalie Wood when she was, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, I it would have to be, I guess, one of them would be Olivia Newton-John from uh, the Have You Never Been Mellow era. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be um, Lauren Hill from maybe the Killing Me Softly era. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other would be, uh, let's see, oh, I'm good with the first two all the time. It's the third one that's getting me. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's see. Okay, the the last one would be Terry Ann Morrison. Wait, who's that? You don't know who that is. Terry Ann Morrison um, was this girl that I was totally obsessed with in like seventh grade, mm-hmm. and then before I had a chance to you know romance her in my special way, um, she moved away, and I still wouldn't be able to tell you who like where she is. Uh, she's probably married to to Adrian in Australia, uh, for all I know. Yes, like, yes. Listen, I typically don't allow for a person that no one's ever heard of. Oh, but, but I'm going to allow it. It's this is a fantasy person. I couldn't even tell you the first yeah. thing about her. So, <laughs> like she doesn't. It, it, Terry I'm Morrison represents it. that one person that mm-hmm. that you kind of wanted to date for no other reason than the fact that she was uh, maybe attractive and mm-hmm. or something or wore, wore cool jeans. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had okay, if I have to pick a, not, a person that's in pop culture or something like that, that's okay. I'll, I really will allow Terry okay. Morrison. Okay, thank you, Terry Morrison, who um, I hope is married and doesn't have the name anymore. Terry, can you come in here? We have a wonderful <laughs> surprise for you. Uh, okay, uh, and then final category is going to be. Well, this is tough. Let's say three people from any walk of life in history that it would be really cool to be able to call and sort of have as a, a chum of sorts that, mm. you know, you would, they, you would, you know that whenever you called, they would take your call and they would be so happy to hear from you. Whoa, that's cool. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know if we'd even get along. I don't know much about this dude at all, but, uh, Amon Tobin, A-M-O-N Tobin. Oh is yeah, like, sure. Just my my all time favorite, he's a great DJ. like oh my gosh, and on t- even better, he's a better composer. Like he's a better mu- like a musician than he is anything else. That's great. Um, such a great. Anyway, I could go off about him for a while. Uh, somebody else, and this could be from any time and anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess. Uh, let's see. Uh, maybe. Uh, you know, nineteen eighties 
like Bob Barker. <laughs> because he always had the answer. He just always had the answer to everything. And I've, and I've always wanted his microphone, like his golden mm-hmm. mic. Was, sure. I was obsessed with that. Sure. And That's great. Uh, I guess the last one would be... Uh, hmm. Last one would be... I guess... And this is a such a cheesy film school answer. Although it's more film school to say you don't like him would be just Wes Anderson would be yep. somebody who I would I'm absolutely obsessed with from an no, artistic by standpoint. Stand by it a hundred percent. Okay, this is the um, part of Mash where I do something that leads us to the outcome of which one of each of these categories you'll end up with. So okay. I need you to tell me when to stop. Sure. Okay. Have you already started? Yes. Has, has the spiral already started? Yes. But okay. it's not a spiral. Oh. Okay. Oh, snap. Okay. What are you doing? A zigz- okay, stop. <laughs> uh, was it a zigzag? Was it a straight it line? It was a sort of a squiggle that kind of turned into a snake. Oh, nice. Um, I ne- Listen, I just have to let the pen and the spirit guide me. I never know what shape my mesh uh, oh, doodle I, is going to take. I would not want to mess with that either. Don't don't ever mess with it. Don't ever mess with that black magic. Um, you, you normally what I would do is I would pause this and do this quick calculation. But I'm so I don't want us to get off sync again since we're um, on the phone together. That's so fine. Take your time. I, I, I want you to uh, tell people what they should be doing about like following you or what they should be checking out your website, anything like that that you want to let people know about while I do this. Well, um, I'm a. I'm not a, a a really interesting dude, but if you really wanted to like see what sort of shallow things I'm saying on the internet, I um I can be reached at Chris two four that's a number two number four uh, sab at sign I believe or no actually oh boy, it's, it's complicated. Chris, I wish if I had known that actually when I set up this Twitter account like. 10 years ago that it would actually be anything valuable. Let me re- reset for a second. It's actually Chris24 underscore Sabbat, S-A-B-A-T. <laughs> Just terrible. Um, and that's the best place to reach me. I You could, if you really wanted, to, if you're on Facebook and that's the only thing you do, if you really want to see like news from like a year ago, you <laughs> can find me at uh, facebook.com forward slash best voice ever. Oh boy. Yep. Um, there's that uh, that teenager that I thought maybe it had gone away. Oh no, it didn't completely go away. I've just learned to mask it better. Um, your mask is uh, just wonderful. I love my mask. I love teenage you also now. I hope I'm doing got, well. You're doing well. Listen, you're doing great, and I have some some pretty exciting news uh, for you uh, on all counts. Um, I want to congratulate you on the mansion you have in Tokyo. What? So, well my, done. My other mansion. Uh, that's right, mansion part two. Oh, you and your servants. Um, uh, you have, and also, I guess this sort of makes sense. Uh, that I, I don't know why in this mystical world it makes sense to me on a practical level that you're able to time travel to feudal Japan, but that is... Uh, so you sort of get the you get this whole scope, wow. the broad like scope the whole of coming in. the yeah. the beautiful country of Japan. So in that um, at that point, it was probably just like a mud hut with like with uh, more like more paper walls than other people would have. That's right. That's right. Slightly. <laughs> kind of wish I had a mansion more, right now. Two more instead of then, but that's cool. Wood stairs than another person. Um, uh, you are a guitar uh, maestro. Oh wow. 
So great on that. I don't know if that's something that comes in handy uh, or is admired by your dear friend Amon Tobin, but um, wow, he's your he's your dude. Your He'd be very dude. proud of me for like uh, traveling back in time with an instrument that's totally anachronistic. Um, that's right. <laughs> To play sweet jams for my uh, <laughs> Japanese neighbors who don't understand me at That's all. That's right. And I don't know what your acoustic version of a Tribe Called Quest Low End Theory, but um, I have to imagine it's amazing because I know you wrote that song. Wow. I can't – I have to admit, you actually – well, you. I mean, the powers, the magic that you yeah. spun there earlier. I think you picked all my favorite answers. Like, Well, I, you've gotten really lucky. A lot of them are your first picks, which is sort of weird, but um, – uh, and this, this I like the sort of synchronicity of here. You've got your uh, ability to travel to the world of Red Dead Red Redemption. Redemption. Yeah. I sorry, I put Red Red Dead Red, and then I couldn't remember That's fine. what the Red stood for. But you also um, can have a nonstop supply of Red hot tamales or gummy bears. Oh my god! So there's a lot of Red in your future. A lot of Red in your future. All right. Hey, does your friend do that podcast about like? you know, mysteries and unsolved mysteries and stuff. Do you think she could help make that happen? Cause I'm way into this whole idea. I'll see if I can uh, get her on this fictional future <laughs> and see if she can um, facilitate it in a realer way Thanks. than I've been able to provide. Um, now the final thing that I want to congratulate you on is that mystery of what happened to Terry Ann Morrison is solved because in this alternate universe, she's your sweet, sweet lady. Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. <laughs> So, except in this sweet lifetime, she's Tariana Morasan. That's right. Because uh, I would have met her in feudal Japan. So. That's right. In fe- and brought her back with you to have culture shock that she would God. probably take five years to get over after committing suicide twice and failing. I actually see a, a, a torture in this, though. Like, say, for instance, I could time travel to, like, I'm like, hey, Amon, I got to go. Tariana Morrison, I got to go to the past. Um, and then hang out with these people who don't understand anything I'm saying, and I have no way of relating to them whatsoever, with somebody I'm not sure I entirely even get along with, could be torture. <laughs> and in which so case, lovely. I would just try and poison her with hot tamales. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm sure there's a way to melt them down and inject them into her sad, sad <laughs> lifeblood. Um, uh, Sabbath, this has been a pleasure and a joy. Um, I can't believe how entertaining it was, considering that I was not able to gaze at you and your beard. Um mm. But I do have one final requirement in my Boys of Summer series, which is that I it's necessary for you to participate in some way, if not control, uh, this partial singing of Don Henley's Boys of Summer. It can oh. just be a snippet. That's I don't think anybody's ever done the whole song or even close to it. Um, do you remember that song? I didn't uh, warn you about this. Well, I mean, no, I really... I- <laughs> I honestly, that's Don Henley. I don't necessarily, I can't say I celebrate his entire collection. I don't know that um, anybody that I have ever had do it does, nor do I per se, but it is a song that I feel was on a loop on like MTV and VH1 when I was growing up. Whenever that song came out, I remember that there was a black and white video that was just always on. So for some reason, I know that song, whether I like it or not. Um, and you don't you just don't even remember it at all i like i i'm having i'm having a hard time kind of remembering exactly what the like even remotely how the song goes although it's probably one of the songs like if i heard it for a split yeah. second well the chorus goes um i can't see you oh yeah yep, yep. shining in the sun yep now i know now i know all right. it's made perfect sense now um i don't know what you think you're going to contribute to it but uh, you need to do something 
I know, it's uh, awful. Okay, so I just have to contribute something to this song. Like, are you... What's... Well, you could look up the lyrics really quick if you want, and you could just like, you could sort of William Shatner uh, a couple of lines. I just okay. have to stay true to my Boys of Summer roots. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, is the ultimate goal... I'm a producer, so please excuse me. It was the ultimate goal of this to stitch them together in any way or just to make no, us sing a part of that just, song it's because just you to pay just homage. enjoy people. Yeah. In pain, okay. In in, in is make it as painful for you as possible. All right, so yeah, I remember this song. Like I actually kind of like it's like I can see you, the basket sadness. Uh, I was only know how to me- like mumble it. That's great. It's great. You got diamond sunglasses on, baby. <laughs> I can see you. This something to be strong. Ah, the buzz of summer was gone, or something. Is that? Is, am I close? It's even perfect. remotely close? It's absolutely perfect. I couldn't okay. have asked for anything more. I, I'm very delighted. Very delighted. Um, I thank th- you I don't so much. Know if the like, I don't know if any of those lyrics were right. So I, uh, I, I don't think it matters. You I mean, probably I think know that the song the, well. The, the real feel, the, the the real core of the song was there in your <laughs> passionate, passionate depiction of it. Um, buddy, thank you so much for doing the podcast. This was so much fun. I really do appreciate you kind of keeping in touch with me. You're a oh, super great for sure. friend. Um, even though we've hardly hung out ever, I really do genuinely enjoy seeing you. I even go to cons that I know you're going to be at just for the sheer joy of seeing you like for about 30 seconds That's before you I have feel. to cancel the appearance mm-hmm. and fly home. <laughs> yeah, um, it's great, isn't it? Um, all right. Well, I'm going to hopefully be seeing you uh, – Sooner than later, um, I have some some things in mind that hopefully will lead us to be oh, able to hang yes. out together. And so. um, and uh, and guys, uh, until then, uh, we'll see you next time on the podcast. As always, the JV Club theme song is "Back Before We Were Brittle" by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.